You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. So back with uh, Emily again this week for uh, another episode, and we're super thrilled and excited to, I guess we're going to start, if we don't get finished with the series today, we're rounding off towards the end of it, um, talking about the scientific evidence that we have for uh, uh, creation. And this is one of the most exciting things. Um, and and I'll, I'll probably, uh, let me do a little review, I guess, of where we are. And then I will sort of set up the context a little bit for the uh, scientific uh, angle of this. So, um, Emily, you doing okay? You back from a couple of weeks off? Yeah, it's good to be back. Fantastic. All right, cool. So, just to catch everybody up, uh, again, we're talking about the, the series is kind of loosely called here, What's With the Age of the Earth? And uh, again, seems like one of those things that it's like, okay, there are so much more important issues. We're trying to get people saved. Um, why, why are we fighting about about this? Why you know why did we make this sort of a, a thing that anybody should care about? And so we went through like the basic views on this. We talked about how the church historically has actually cared about this issue. And Emily actually made the really good point that well, when you go to college and places, you know, they're, they are teaching you about this stuff. And it's, it's because the Christian worldview is a worldview and it's, it's about reality. Then anytime you are uh, faced with evidence or with data or with findings that seem to contradict what you understand to be reality, then it matters. And so, um, unfortunately, it is the case that a lot of times when you go to college, mainstream scientific thought, differs from uh, biblical thought on a lot of things. And uh, we went through some of the history of that and where that started to creep in and why, you know, why we have qualms with this at all. Um, Then we sort of dove in and started looking at the thrust of the issue um, using that ADAM acronym again, which is the accuracy of the biblical account, death before the fall, a truly risen savior, and then today, what we're going to be talking about is many scientific evidences. So if I've, if I've made my case well so far, then the idea here is that, um, biblically speaking, that's what the first three kind of points have, have had the most to do with. Biblically speaking, not only is this issue important, but there are implications for important things that Christians believe, specifically about... Um, how how Jesus was truly physically risen from the dead. The biblical writers seem to make a direct connection between um, the the existence of a physical fallen Adam and the existence of a physical sinless risen Savior in Jesus Christ. And that what we saw is that that, that linkage is very difficult to explain and to deal with on old age views. Now, I actually had a question come in from a very uh, philosophically astute listener uh, to the podcast who is interested in these issues and uh, both from the philosophical, like, you know, really wanting to dig into it, but also from the practical of being a parent and wanting to, you know, be sure, you know, what he's teaching his kids is accurate. And I totally, you know, four kids of my own, Emily's got two or three running around, you know, it's like, we want to be sure that, uh, that's just another really practical aspect of this that we haven't really talked about yet that, you know, regardless of the, 
you know, highfalutin philosophical thought that you might put into all this stuff. Just practically, like when you're leading your family, you want to kind of lead them right. And you want to 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 give them. And I'm a fan. Okay, here, I'm going to go on a diatribe for a second. That's a, It's a tangent. But, but you know, I, I, it's not like we're omniscient. You know, we, we do our best with the data that we have. We have strong opinions. You know, I mean, Emily's opinionated on things. I'm opinionated on things. We're all, we all have those things that we latch on to. But I am a fan of, of presenting the options, especially within a, you know, if we're talking just the Christian context and we're talking about like raising your kids and even teaching others, maybe in church or whatever, or, or a small group or some context that you have, I'm a fan of presenting all of the data and all of the facts in the most honest way you possibly can, presenting your view giving the reasons for why you hold that view and inviting others to consider it. But at the end of the day, still being open to change your mind on these sort of, um, you know, secondary issues, which there, there is a question as to how secondary this issue is. Again, I, I think it's very important because of the relation that it does have with a truly risen savior, death before the fall, all of these things. But at the end of the day, knowing Jesus is the only thing that matters. And I have friends who, or maybe not friends, but acquaint. Well, some are friends, yes, but also some acquaintances who love the Lord greatly. I mean, they would be like the kind of person who leads your Sunday school class at your church or leads your small group at, in, in their home or whatever. And in their spiritual walk, they're very, very strong Christians. They use the same language you do. They know all the same things you do. And yet they have beliefs about this that would differ very drastically from where I land on this issue. And as I said, my my my, my buddy who is a, a listener to this podcast, he had some questions. And um, what it boiled down to, and I'm going to answer him on this um, privately, but I may want to even do something publicly here, is he said, well, if you had to steel man the case for for like an old age creation, so like if you had basically to give the best case possible for an old earth creation position, you know, what would that look like? And so I think that might be an interesting question to like follow up on after this series is over. If I was to argue for, you know, old age creationism, how, you know, how would I make that argument? And then maybe how would I answer some of my own objections? So I think that might be an interesting one to, to, uh, to look at. So. And I think it's great. I was just going to, to piggyback off of that a little bit. I think it's great that there, there are podcasts like this and, and, and why I've come to you with the questions I've had, because unfortunately in the Christian world, a lot of times the the whole open discussion type thing, you know, bringing your ideals and, um, you know, maybe maybe describing how you feel about things or, or, or the evidence that you've discovered, you know, I feel like that's looked down upon a lot of times. And it's like they take a traditional walk through the Bible and that's it with and, and you're not allowed to ask questions. And I know we've talked about this before and that's why we're, you know, but that's why we're, we're discussing what we're discussing. It's just because a lot of, of answers go un a lot of questions go unanswered. Um, and so I'm very thankful to be able to expand my mind a little bit and almost have an even stronger belief in my Christianity and a stronger walk with the Lord because I don't feel limited on asking yeah. these questions because I mean, I'm a real person with yeah. real thoughts and feelings. And we all think on completely different levels. While mine might be a little bit out there, 
it it <laughs> helps me to ask questions while other people are very okay with you know the first plate of food that they're given. So um, I just I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate that those answers you know to these questions that we have are being laid out there, so we can kind of. Again, it doesn't really matter to some people, like you said, what's the purpose? But for me, the purpose is to grow stronger in my walk with the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I remember hearing, and don't get me wrong, super grateful for my raising, super grateful for where I was in my childhood, would would not would not trade it because I was taught to love the Lord. I really was. But, you know, it's like I heard my former pastor at one point, um, one of my former pastors make a make a statement. And the statement that was made was something to the effect of, I never read books about atheism because I don't, I don't, you know, if I were, if I were to uh, super modernize what he was saying, he was basically saying, cause I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need, you know, I, I don't need those things that are, that, that are not God honoring, you know, in my life. And I, okay. I understand that like you, right. Like you want to read books that are about the Lord that are, that are uplifting, that are encouraging of your worldview and not destroying it. But at the same time, like, you know, you grew up in the 40s and 50s and maybe even, you know, like around those times when it was like, yeah, I mean, to be a Christian was a cultural thing almost, especially, you know, here in the South, like being a Christian was just a cultural thing. And sure, there was wickedness back then as well. Of course there was. But it's nothing like today in the sense of we are living in a very post-Christian time, whereas that was not a post-Christian time. And so at some point you have to realize that the world has changed. People have changed. People are not satisfied without, you know, and here's the thing. We, we're not going to be able to answer every question. That's never going to be the case. Like, like there are questions we are not going to get to have the answers to, but we should at least be able to ask we should at least be able to consider. I mean, even the Bible says, come, you know, let us reason together, not let us bury our heads in the sand. You know, it's like, let's, you know, again, this is a, a, a tangent, but a healthy one and a helpful one, I think, because people need to understand, look, if you got, if you're in a church context where you can't ask questions, go to stevesram.com. I think there's a button on there that says, ask a question. You know what I'm saying? Like, ask the question because, because we want to talk about it. Um, you know, I mean, we, 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 we want to get these questions out in the forefront. And if somebody else is struggling with it, I guarantee, or if you're struggling with it, I guarantee, you know, somebody else is uh, too. So that's why we want to do this. All right. So let's, let's go ahead and dive in. So we want to talk about the, uh, the M in my little Adam framework here, which is many scientific evidences. So I guess it was about 20... 14 or 2015 it was i guess it was somewhere in there and i was i'm not going to name any any names um but i was exposed to the teaching of a of a gentleman who in the circles in which we grew up um you know independent fundamental baptist circles he was very well known as a speaker on the issue of creation versus evolution. Okay. And this was, you know, in the, in throughout the nineties and the early two thousands is when this guy's greatest popularity, um, uh, was achieved, but he's still out there doing stuff. Even today, he's active today, literally posts on YouTube every single day. And, um, and has been, uh, since around 20, uh, yeah, since around 20, 2016 or so. And so, um, I was exposed to this guy's teaching 
And I, I have a lot of disagreement with him now on things. Um, but regardless of that fact, he, um, his teaching on creation and evolution was something I'd never heard before. It was very fascinating to me. And I had always, my wife kind of jokes, uh, because like the person I am today, not to like puff myself up. That's not what this is about at all. Like anything that happens with me is like totally by the grace of God. But like, I'm a different person today than I used to be. I am like, I'm a reader. I am highly motivated, entrepreneurial. I love philosophy. I like to dig into science. I, I like to expand my mind and, and open up my mind to things. And, you know, you know, I do podcasts and stuff. Like, I was not this guy for a very, for a very long time. The first few years, two to, two to three years of, of our marriage, and I'm just being very open, very transparent, and try to be relatable here. I mean, there, like, I did some studio work, and, and I was doing music on the weekends, and I did some studio work during the week. But, you know, a lot of it, uh, otherwise, I would just kind of like sit around. My wife was going to work full time. I wasn't very motivated. I would, you know, be, be sitting at home on the couch when she gets home, you know, just watching TV, eating chips or whatever. And I, I just, I was a different person. I, I wasn't, I wasn't reading. I wasn't growing. I wasn't listening to podcasts. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. And there were a few things that changed the direction of my life around that stuff. But one of them was certainly encountering this guy's teaching, uh, believe it or not. Um, and just watching YouTube videos and things like that. It was just so fascinating to me that there was this whole element of Christianity that I didn't realize that I didn't know that people cared about this stuff really. I mean, I'm at this point, I'm what, 15 years since I had been in a Christian school learning environment. And of course I'd been in church, but like I had been out of Christian school for like 15 or so years at that point. And, um, and so anything that I did hear about creation, which wasn't much, you know, during my time in Christian school, um, was a fleeting memory. And so I was sort of reintroduced to this and I was just so fascinated that you could look at the Bible and then you could look at the data in God's world. And there was evidence in God's world for what we found in God's word. And even in many cases where that evidence was contradictory, um, or at least surface level contradictory, it seemed like God's word was saying something uh, different that was that was in the world, or that at least uh, scientists, you know, were observing. Um, it, it was like, well, then there were answers, right? There are ways to explain that. Now, just to, just to, to side note and not get too political here, um, now in this day we're living in, it, it's almost it's it's like super obvious that at a certain point. I'm not anti-science, but like when, when they're trying to teach you that a baby, when it's inside of the womb, is not a baby, that is the most anti-science thing I have ever heard. Right. It is it it is literally not science. And so today there are it's it's almost like because of the worldview stuff has gotten so bad, there are some areas in which you can see that the experts are not really that expert because Anyway, basic human anatomy. Okay, so like th that's just one example. There are other things. Okay, so that's a little clearer. But back then, I wasn't really seeing that. I was just excited to about this whole creation thing and that there was a, even a discussion to be had. And so that led me into just years of studying and, and learning. Of course, I got into the wider scope of Christian apologetics, you know, giving a defense for the Christian faith after that. But that was my first introduction to this was specifically um, creation 
apologetics, basically doing apologetics and defending the Bible, the biblical view of creation. And as I dug more into that, I found that this particular gentleman that I was listening to and learning from um, was not wrong on everything that he taught, but that he hadn't kept up with the science well. And I was actually pleased to find that there are active, working scientists, a lot of them actually, and the numbers are growing every day, um, that are really working hard and pursuing information about God's world and, and to find how it relates to God's word. There are more and more of these people cropping up in many different fields, and they are absolute experts in their fields. And so, it, frankly, the case got even stronger for me. I found that these guys were very honest about when data didn't seem to line up. They were very, um, um, you know, forthcoming about that. But they were also like, yeah, like, this makes sense. This is really good evidence. And they were able to talk about how the evolutionist's side of the puzzle didn't really uh, fit. There's a really good book, by the way, that I think everybody should read. It doesn't really dig into the, like, hardcore, the science, but it's a modern book written by one of these scientists that I'm talking about. His name is Dr. Todd Wood. And he wrote, he co-wrote a book with a Dr. Daryl Falk. And these two have become friends over the past four or five years. And what's interesting is, so Todd is, is one of the most well-known actual scientists. He's a biologist who's doing work in the creation field. And then Dr. Falk is actually the one who started, I believe he was either a founding member or like the founder of an institute called Biologos, which is the leading um, evolutionist organization uh, for Christians. For, for They call themselves evolutionary creationists. And these two have tons of disagreements, but they they bask in their friendship and their brotherhood. And this book is called The Fool and the Heretic. And it's a fantastic book written by both of them that talks about their experience in as very um, um, prolific and um, experienced and successful, frankly, scientists. And, and yet, like on the one hand, the creationists are always calling the evolutionists the heretics, and the heretics are always calling the creationists the fools. And this book sort of sheds a new light on that entire dynamic. And so I know a lot of setup here, but but I did want to just make the general overarching point that there are scientific evidences, pieces of evidence that um, make sense in a Christian worldview and that could possibly be used in, in an evolutionary worldview. You're, you're looking at data and you have to interpret that data to find out what fits. Um, I'm going to actually want to go into that a little bit. I'm going to ask, do you have any questions, Emily, at this point, just about the overall setup? And then I'm going to dive into that a little, the philosophy a little bit further. And if we have time, I might get into the actual uh, evidence itself today, or that might be next week. Yes, I wrote down a question, but we're going to have to hold it or because it's going to take us down a totally different route. So Okay, fair enough. Fair. Yeah. And, all right, cool. We can hold <laughs> that for later. Yeah. So, um, all right. So let me give some general thoughts um, as it relates to this. And um, that, that would be a few things. There is a misconception when it comes to the idea of, of evidence um, versus, versus data. So you, you, sometimes you hear people say something like this. The science says... Or the evidence says. Now, a couple of things are happening with that. Like, first of all, that's called a reification. 
it is a form of logical fallacy that is is making something that is incapable of saying something to say something, right? You're, you're personifying something that cannot be personified. And you may think, oh, well, that's not really a big deal. Well, it is because in this case, when you have the science or, you know, let's just take that. When you have the science saying something, it sounds like it's a settled matter. But the issue is, is that science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things. And scientists are human beings. And human beings have worldviews. And when you have a human being with a worldview, what they are looking at is not what the, what the science is telling them. You know, the rock in the ground is not holding up a sign that says 4.5 billion years old thanks to uranium-led dating. That's not what's happening, right? The, 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 the scientist is looking at data. And based on the data that he's looking at, the worldview assumptions that go into that, the assumptions from his knowledge of the wider scientific you know, picture, um, based on that, he's going to filter what he sees in that data through all of those things. And then he is going to say something, not the, not the, not the data itself. The scientist is going to say something. And his saying of that is what we call an interpretation. That is an interpretation of the data, an interpretation of the, of the evidence, okay? And so the point that creationists often make, and a lot of times evolutionists just dismiss this, but they, they, I, rarely do they engage with it well. The, the point is a simple one, and that is that we're just trying to show you that a particular piece of data has a way that it can fit in different worldview scenarios. So if I'm looking at a rock that is, is right, I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm not going to get too specific with my examples because I don't want to sound like an idiot. But if I'm looking at a rock and I perceive that that rock has been through a, a radioactive, um, you know, um, situation of some sort, like that, that rock has been, has radioactive decay that is associated with it. And I'm looking at that rock and I'm trying to analyze how old that rock is. There's lots of data that, that kind of goes into that. But if I already am convinced from other pieces of data that the, the paradigm is a, is a 4.5 billion year old earth, then I'm going to assign numbers and assign things as I interpret that data. And I'm going to interpret that rock as having that sort of um, result. Right, it's going to be oh maybe that rock is two hundred and thirty million years old or or whatever. Again, based on a lot of the assumptions that you feed into it, but the creationists could come along with their assumption of the biblical timeline of a six to seven thousand year old Earth, and the job is not to force the data, you know, to fit to fit the worldview, but it's to interpret the data according to that worldview. So it's okay. Well, the According to the biblical worldview, there was a, a, a flood that happened 4,500 or so years ago. And so we understand that the, you know, today, the, the geologically, a lot of the formations and structures we see in the world today, um, many of them would have been a result of either the flood or its aftermath in the following centuries. And so now we look at that rock and we say, okay, well, based on that and based on, 
checking uh, the, you know, kind of standard evolutionary assumptions against our assumptions, how would we reinterpret that piece of data? And I almost don't like saying uh, the word reinterpret because it sounds like we're trying to take something settled and, and, and do it differently, but that is technically the accurate word, right? We're trying to reinterpret a piece of data away from the standard conventional timeline. And, and so some people think, well, you can't do that, right? Because that's not science. That's religion just kind of finding its way into your science. But the problem is, is that Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. <clears throat> there is no real neutral ground here, right? You're, 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 you're either a child of the king or you're, your father is the devil. You know, I mean, this is harsh language, but that's how the Bible puts it. Okay. You have this terminology. And so everything that you do is, is factored into how you see the world around you. And if we're going to look at scientific data in the present, I see nothing wrong philosophically or otherwise with taking, okay, well, this seems to be the Bible's position on the matter. Can we make sense of that data in a, of the data we're looking at scientifically in a Christian worldview? And if we can, then I say, why not? More power to us. We're exploring God's world. This is part of the, you know, the, the dominion mandate. Now, what happens when we have something that, um, okay, we we're taking that same route. We're looking at the biblical data. We're looking at the scientific data. Those things seem to have a mismatch. What do we do? Um, and I, I can't remember because we talked about so many things here during this time. Um, I can't remember if I've shared this with you already. I, I want to say that I have, but there's a fantastic video that I'll just share again. A fantastic video uh, on YouTube that you can go look at from Dr. Kurt Wise uh, teaching. And it's it's just a perfect example of how, to put it super basic, uh, Kurt Wise is a another one of those just great, uh, probably one of the greatest scientists in, uh, who is a creationist. I mean, he was he was given his uh, uh, paleontological, you know, his 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 um, PhD by uh, Dr. Stephen Gould, one of the most well respected paleontologists of the 20th century. Even despite this guy being a creationist, and there was this scenario where it was like it kind of looked like evolution had the had the the one up on the on the creationist data. And in faith, Dr. Wise kept looking and said, I, I think there's a solution to this. I don't know what it is. And th that's where I just want to harp on that point. Like, we don't have to have all the answers. And some of them we will eventually get if we have faith and we have patience, even if we don't have the answer right now. And long story short, to resolve this conundrum, he proposed what um, it, it's called the floating, for, floating forest theory. It just basically posits that there was a huge floating forest as part of the pre-flood world. And it turns out that if you pose that hypothesis, you not only get to explain the same data that the evolutionists can explain in a creationist framework, but more. It actually explains more of the available data and takes a little bit of the, um, of the breath out of the evolutionists' argument on that point. And so... Um, I think that's just an important thing to consider is that there's this, we could talk about the individual tactics and things and, and probably next week I'm going to get into my favorite, you know, arguments and, and, and compelling specific things that drive me toward a young age creationist position or at least bolster that position scientifically. But I think before we do anything, it's really important to get the philosophical stuff 
down. That like what we're doing is if an evolutionist says it has to be this way, almost certainly that is wrong. Okay. Um, a good example that Dr. Kurt Wise actually used, and I feel okay using this example because he is a very smart scientist and it's a silly example, but it's so true. In all of his um, classes where he's teaching, you know, introductory stuff for um, what, what's called um, biosystematics, which is systematizing the the development of uh, of organic life on Earth, basically. Um, there are many different ways you could do this. The creationist version of this, which we'll talk about, is called baremonology. Uh, the evolutionist version of this, which we'll talk about, is called cladistics. And to illustrate this, in his classes, he'll, he'll, he'll assign the students to go buy various boxes of noodles. And he'll have them arrange them on uh, their desk as part of this exercise in he'll have them create an evolutionary tree for them, basically. How do you think these things developed on their own over time, okay? And there's a couple interesting things. One is that he noticed that many of the students saw them grouped differently. You know, like like some had some had the smallest going to the biggest. Some had, uh, you know, grouped by features. Oh, these have ridges. These don't, et cetera. And he's like, you know, never, never one time has, has a student in all my years of doing this asked me whether we should actually be doing this or not. And um, it, it's just a really, I don't know, it's a really instructive example that there are, there are just different ways of looking at the data and if you can take in one hand, you can look at the evolutionary development of life and sure, you can categorize it according to this long, you know, development of similarities between organisms as you come up the evolutionary tree. And that's one way to look at it. But there are other ways to look at it. And then there's experiments that you can do, data you can look at and things you can run to determine which of those is more accurate. But like, at least we should be able to do it, right? We should be able to look at the data. And that's what that's the kind of work that scientists are doing now. And it's illustrated simply just with a box of noodles. So that's the, the basic generic overview to a look at like how creationists just want to be seen. We, we kind of want a seat at the table. We want to be able to look at the evidence biblically and scientifically and see if we can integrate them into a holistic worldview. And so far, uh, what we do have is shown that we that we can. So any any thoughts or comments on any of that? Well, I was going to say a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people don't realize that it's it's science and data are two different things. You know, sure. The science portion of it is the interpretation, while you have data that is data like it's 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 the foundation. It's it's what is the facts. It's just right. how you interpret that. So I think a lot of people, especially if, if they're non-believers, um, they just assume that you know, Christians or creationists are trying to are trying to make science make sense when that's not at all what it is. And so I can right. understand why creationists they they almost need to get they need to be heard so they can explain, I'm not trying to change science. I'm trying to I'm trying to show you my interpretation of the ground, the 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 yeah. foundation with the data. So that's that's, that's, that's something that people don't think about or realize, but that is. I mean it's you look at the data, not, and then, and it, like you said, it's your worldview, it's your interpretation from that point. Yeah. I actually, 
Um, I'm not very good at analogies, especially on the fly, but every now and then I, I land a good one and I'll usually write it out and then I can refer back to it, right? So um, I, one blog post that I wrote uh, was about this. And I, I drew the analogy of a courtroom uh, of lawyers. If evidence and data could speak for itself, we would not need attorneys because the facts would just so readily present themselves that the judge would just have to make a judgment of the situation based on the facts. But why are lawyers in the picture? Lawyers are in the picture because a, a, a piece of evidence can be interpreted one way or, you know, in, in potentially in multiple ways. Now, maybe sometimes it can't, okay? Like, you can't, you can't go back to, like, complete skepticism where it's like, oh, well, if there's video of a, of a crime happening and, and people who were at the crime, you know, we have eyewitness testimony of, you know, whatever, four or five people who explain their account, like, you're going to have to do some serious, like, maneuvers to try to get a jury to believe that like that whole scene was made up or, or, or whatever. So there are some cases that are entirely clear, but there are some cases that, that aren't so clear. And we know this because there is such a thing as false imprisonment. We have people who at the time, it seems like the evidence, and this is actually a good example for what I was talking about with the evolution of creation thing, that there are people who were locked up for 40 or 50 years that were locked up based on the best evidence that was available at the time. But 40, 50 years later, the case had gone cold, but a new piece of evidence had, had resurfaced that changed the entire thing. And it turns out they're let go from prison because it wasn't their fault and they were wrongly in prison. So the fact that this can happen at all, uh, just to me is a great analogy for how we should be you know, very tentative with the things we believe scientifically. And I'll, I'll close with this thought. There are a lot of people who give the Bible um, flack for um, a, a, you know, the whole thing about does the sun revolve around the earth? Is the earth the center of the, of the solar system? Is the sun the center of the, the solar system? I mean, there's debates about this, of course, back in the day. And a lot of people give the Bible flack because apparently there were some Christians who, um, who latched on to like when they saw the, the day that the sun stood still, it's a passage out of a uh, Joshua when Joshua was fighting the battle um, at, was it, was it I, I can't remember. Anyway, he was, he was fighting a battle and, and, and the sun stood still. And apparently there were people who tried to latch onto that as some, as to, to say that, that, that God had made the earth, the center of the universe. Whereas really the, the more practical and the more realistic way to look at that is just that these people didn't, do science. They were literally writing what they were seeing and they saw from their, you know, it's called phenomenology. They saw from their perspective, the sun standing still and it's, it was just fine to describe it that way. They weren't trying to do solar system, you know, astronomy. They were trying to just say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. Um, and the real, the real mistake comes because actually that the, the church at that time had hitched itself to a particular scientific model of geocentrism. They, and, and they were looking to the Bible to find support for, for their claim precisely because they had hitched on to the scientific model. And I said the church here, I'm mostly talking about the, the formal Catholic church in this particular example. Um, they had hitched themselves to the scientific model and were looking for biblical justification for it. And what 
And creationists are actually saying that it's evolutionists that are making the similar mistake today. Because today, the, the scientific fad is evolution. Okay, and so what they're doing is they're latching on and saying, no, not all of them are doing this, but many of them, I would say, arguably most, are saying the scientific evidence for evolution is just too strong to ignore. So, or, or, or the scientific evidence for deep time, if we talk about the old age creationists, is just too strong to ignore. And so therefore we need to reinterpret the Bible in order to fit that. And again, I'm not making things up. This is, I've literally heard, heard people say this. This is what they're doing in many cases intentionally. And it's like, that's the same error that the church made back in the day when they hitched on to this scientific theory. And, and that was the thing that needed to be right. Eventually, they realized that, that they were wrong. And it was a huge embarrassment um, for those who had latched on to that because it turns out that heliocentrism really is true, that the sun is the center of the universe and, or the center of the solar system, rather, and that everything revolves around it. And so... What I want to say is let's be tentative about scientific models and let's be more, you know, let's give the Bible due credit, right? Let, let's, be, let's be settled in our understanding of scripture and be more tentative about the scientific evidence because, again, evidence changes. Interpretations change. You know, I mean, it's like the laws of gravity, like all these things, like science changes as we understand the world better. But God says his words will never, never fail. They'll never pass away. I mean, God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so if we can trust, now not that we're infallible, sure, we can have missed, misguided interpretations of God's word. That's certainly possible too. But we need to understand that the scientific process is just entirely different. And what we learn scientifically is so tentative. A hundred years from now, you don't think we'll have advanced scientifically from how we understand the world today? Baloney. Of course we will. Because that's how the world has just always worked. And so let's just, if we're going to be tentative about something, you know, let's choose to be tentative about the science that we know is changing on a, on a literal daily basis and give God's word the proper authority that it deserves.